Revelation chapter number 10. Look with me at verse number 1. The Bible says, And I saw another angel, or a mighty angel, come down from heaven, clothed with a cloud, and a rainbow was upon his head, and his face was as it were of the sun, and his feet as pillars of fire. And he had in his hand a little book open, and he set his right foot upon the sea, and his left foot upon the earth, and cried with a loud voice, as when a lion roareth. And when he had cried, seven thunders uttered their voices. Look at verse 4. It says, And when the seven thunders had uttered their voices, I was about to write, and I heard the voice from heaven saying unto me, Seal up those things which the seven thunders uttered, and write them not. Will you pray with me? Lord, as we come to you this morning, thanking you, God, uh, that we can come here, we can worship, we can lift up your name. Lord, that all across, uh, all across the world, all across our area, Lord, there are people that are gathering together, and they're lifting up the name of Jesus Christ. Lord, I'm so thankful to be a part of the body of Christ. And Lord, my mean is not just simply North Highland, Lord, but the body of Christ, the church, the arm. God, I thank you that there are people standing in pulpits and they're sharing the word of God and they're sharing truth in a time where people are searching for truth and also, Lord, in a time where people are trying to debunk the truth and they're trying to, uh, uh, to bring it down. I ask you that you just please help us today to understand the scripture. Now, Lord, I know, I know the hearts of the people that are here today. I know the minds are just like mine, Lord, that we're all the same. Lord, that there's none here that's greater than the other or lesser than the other. And there's none that knows more or, or knows less. But, God, we are human. And, God, we are just men and women that are seeking the truth, seeking you. And, uh, Lord, as Brian, uh, Brandon sang this morning, Lord, that you are our everything. You are our all in all. And we're, we need you, Lord. And, uh, God, as much as we can try to sing your presence here and as much as we pray for your presence to be here and for your spirit the holy spirit of god to be uh, with us here as we serve you and worship you god it doesn't come lord unless you send it lord we ask you that as we roll out the red carpet this morning we say god we need you god we need you to speak to us lord there are some people i know that are in the church with a people with a group like this there are people that are hurting there are people that are sick there are people that have a certain need and God, there's some that just have many needs. It may be family. It may be struggles. But God, we just ask you today that by the time that the service is ended, Lord, our worship and our praise of the name of Jesus Christ is over with. The people have, have dealt with you, Lord, that they, if they have sinned, it would be confessed and forgiven. Lord, if they have sickness, that God, you'd touch them, that you'd heal them. And now, Lord, we ask you that you just give us understanding and wisdom today. Lord, these scriptures are difficult scriptures. These are ones that sometimes kind of um, get pushed aside. Uh, these are the revelation scriptures that people go to difficult. So, Lord, we ask you for the understanding and the discernment of the Holy Spirit of God today. We give you all praise, and we glorify the name of Jesus Christ all together by asking this in his name. Amen. If you would, you can be seated. I'm going to preach to you this morning, not, not just on the final timeout. I, I actually started to call this the final countdown, but I figured some of you would go in that 80s song and you would start trying to rock out in service and stuff. You know, I, I say certain phrases sometimes and people kind of get some songs going in their minds. And I really did. I started to put the tune and the music all to it, but I thought, no, we're going to be serious today. So I didn't want to, want to do that. But this is a final timeout. Remember, we talked about that. Um, we, we've talked about Revelation chapter one is just a summary of who Jesus is. Uh, the revelation of Jesus Christ is the unveiling of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, not in the manner of Mark, Matthew, and Luke and John, the way that they unveiled Jesus as His flesh was here. But this is Him, not only as the Son of Man, but as the Son of God and as the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And uh, so, the unveiling of Jesus—it's like when we looked at it in the beginning. It tells us what that He's the one that is. 
and the was and is to come. And uh, he's the, uh, the past, present, and the future. He is, like Brandon's saying, he's our all in all. And when you look at the book of Revelation, it kind of sometimes gets scary. It kind of gets uh, intimidating. Some of the words, some of the symbolisms, and some of the metaphors and other stuff like that. And you can kind of get your mind going, what in the world? This was like, was John in his right mind when he was on the Isle of Patmos? Was John, uh, did he eat something wrong or did, you know, mushrooms or something like that? You know, and it's like, good grief, what's going on? Uh, but we know that in chapters 2 and 3 that Jesus was talking to John and was giving instructions to the church. And actually, when he wrote those things down, God told him, Brother Carl, said, John, you write down, write down the things that you see and that you hear. And God gave John free reign to write down all of these things. And uh, I probably could not have wrote fast enough, you know. Now, we do know that the Bible teaches us that not all the things of God could be contained within these 66 books that we have. We know that, that even the books of the earth, there's not enough books in the earth that could contain the things of God. Uh, because thank God he's not kept in a book. He's not kept in a thimble, and he's not kept in a box, amen. And I'm glad he's not kept on a cross or in a grave either. We wouldn't have any reason to meet here today. But when you look at the Scripture, chapters 2 and 3 dealt with the churches. And when he dealt with the churches, he was given specific instructions. And it, every single church was not that, okay, John, you tell the church. Jesus was addressing the church, the Bible says. That's why we have the letters in red of chapters 2 and 3, all those seven churches. Then we stepped into the throne room in chapter 4 and 5. And when we stepped into the throne room, we found out in chapter 4 that God the Creator is sitting on the throne and all of heaven says He's worthy to be praised and worthy of worship. Chapter 5, we see that Jesus, the Lamb of God, is standing in the middle of the throne room as a lamb that had been slain. In other words, He bears the mark of the crucifixion and He's standing in heaven as He bears those marks and we find out that what? That He's worthy to be praised and He's worthy of all of our worship because He's the Lamb of God that gave His life for all of us. Amen? And then you look at chapter number 6, and then things kind of change. You know, we've talked about this, and I, I try to bring you up to speed every week. But chapter number 6, things changed. And we went into this almost into a... It's, it's not darkness as in, okay, we're talking about something evil or satanic. We went into this... ...out that there was a scroll that the father had in his hand, but it was sealed up with seven seals on there. And you remember there was an angel with a loud voice, and it said that who is worthy to open or loose these scrolls? And, and uh, John began to weep because nobody was worthy. Then all of a sudden an elder stuck his arm around him and said, don't weep, John, you know, don't weep about this. He said, because why? He says, because the line of the tribe of Judah hath prevailed, amen. The Lamb of God hath prevailed, and so Jesus was worthy. Well, in chapter 6, do you remember that word for scroll in the Greek is biblion? And the biblion means the same word you get the word Bible from. It means a writing. Uh, when Moses wrote a decree of divorcement, and understand God didn't write that. Moses wrote that because of the hardness of their hearts. And when he wrote that decree of divorcement, what was it? It was a writing, a bill, or a writing, a legal document that set out and said, okay, that they could do it. If only it was in these certain manners or in these certain ways. And that's the way God's seal is. It's a biblion. It's a writing. And it, I mean, God's book, scroll, that was sealed up. It's a biblion. It's a writing. And Jesus now opens up the first seal in chapter 6. And opens up the second seal, the third seal, and the fourth seal. You remember the white horse and, and the red horse and the black horse and the pale horse came out, which are all the, the epitome of the characteristics of the Antichrist that will come. It's showing how he's going to be and uh, how he is going to be accepted, but how he is going to be very evil, that red horse, and bringing war and famine and death and all of those things. And as we kept going over these last few weeks, we've been talking about 
the seals being opened. We've been talking about the trumpets. When that last seal, the seventh one, was opened up, that seven trumpets came out of that. And that these trumpets seem to be, if you've been paying attention, they seem to be worse, don't they, than those seals that were opened up. The seals really explained a lot of characteristics about what was going to happen. It was almost like the summary. But then when the trumpets started blowing against the earth, there was this... There's this day of wrath, a day of darkness, a day of gloom. And it helps you to understand the book of Isaiah where the Bible says the day of the Lord, the day of the Lord. The Bible teaches us that we are to pray what? Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's our prayer. I mean, it's not just the prayer before every football and basketball and baseball game, but it's our prayer as people of God, not just Israelites, but all people of God is what? Is that God's kingdom will come someday. What, what kingdom? The kingdom that is in heaven will come upon this earth someday. He will put one foot on the sea and one foot on the land, and he will declare uh, the time would be no more and that the kingdom would come. And when you look at that, you see that these judgments are coming. And in the book of Isaiah, it was so hard for us to understand Isaiah because you go, but the day of the Lord for a child of God, for a believer in this age we live now, if you've been saved by the grace of God. Anybody here saved by the grace of God? You've been saved by the grace of God and living a part of that church age in the day of grace. We're looking for an event to happen, but it's not a dark event, and it's not a gloomy event, but the Bible says it's a rapture event. It's an event that will actually not only take place on earth, but it also takes place in the sky. We're looking for an event that the Bible says, what? says that he will come in the clouds, and we will be called up together, which that's the word rapture, rapio in the Greek. We'll be called up, or in the Latin, we'll be called up to meet him in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. And then it says what? He tells us in Thessalonians, he says, wherefore, comfort one another with these words. These are words that bring joy and peace and comfort and the peace that passes understanding to a believer today. So when we move into Revelation and you hear the seals being opened and you hear the trumpets being, being blown against the earth, then all of a sudden you go, wait a minute, this doesn't really kind of add together. And the reason is, church, is you've got to understand that the second coming of Jesus Christ to this earth to put an end to sin is different from the rapture of the body, the church, that we will be out of here. And you say, well, why would it be that? Because what do we trust in? What is the foundation of the gospel of Jesus Christ that we believe in? Paul tells us in Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10 and verse number 13. The foundation of the gospel of Jesus Christ that we preach is what? Is that he came... He was crucified for our sins. That means he paid the penalty for our sins. It's not all just about the cross, okay? If it was only about the cross, then all we would have is God giving judgment upon what? Our sins. We, he took the death that we deserve. But no, the gospel is not ending at the cross. The gospel, listen, goes all the way to a tomb. When he was placed into a tomb, what happened? God the Father raised him from the dead and, listen, gave him all eternal life. That's what Jesus is, the what? He's the first fruits of the resurrection of life. Lazarus was resurrected, right? But he died again. The little boy in the city of Nain was resurrected, right? You remember his mother was weeping because she was already a widow. Jesus raised him from the dead and he stood up. Amen, right? I'm going to tell you, that, that turned any funeral to a party, right? And uh, so, and, and if they had chicken, everybody ate. You know, it was great. But they all were rejoicing, but that little boy had to go through death again, right? They all had to go through that. But Jesus is the only one that's the first fruits of the resurrection of the dead, never, Brother Bill, to die again. Amen. And so here we are 
looking at the gospel and we go, well, the gospel is simply this, Brother Steve, is that he came, he was crucified for our sins to pay the penalty of the debt that we could not pay. Then he was victoriously and miraculously resurrected from the dead, never to die again. So therefore, we trust in that and believe in that for what? Our salvation. It's not about how many times you walk through a baptistry and you get baptized. If you were in the creek or if you were up here in the, in the baptistry, it's not about a church membership. It's not about a denomination, whether I'm talking about what you think you give to the Lord in money or where you go to church. It's not about those things in the gospel and in salvation. It's about him coming, him being crucified, him being resurrected. So what are we waiting for? We are waiting for the resurrection. If we should die then we will be resurrected. Amen? The Bible says, uh, you know, I don't want you to be ignorant brethren. Now, thank God that we don't need to have ignorant brethren, right? He said, I want you to be ignorant about those that are asleep in Christ, those that have already died in Christ. He said, because why? When the trumpet sounds, listen, which is the voice of God in chapter 4 of Revelation, it says, then the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then... All of those that are alive and remain will do what? Be caught up to meet him in there. We will also be resurrected out of here. You say, but Brother Steve, we would not have died. We will. We will shed this old body and have a new body. And so we will be resurrected, amen? So that's why when we move into Revelation, people get confused because they're taking this event that the church is waiting for called the rapture and the resurrection of the body of Christ, which is us, and they're trying to mix it together with the second coming as Jesus comes to this earth and he actually has judgment and he puts an end to all of what? All of the ministry, all of the mystery, and all of what? All of the fulfillment of the word of God. Those things are separate. They're not one in the same, amen? Because why? Because when Christ comes and gets the church, he's coming to get all of those that have trusted and believed in him. And for a glorious day it's going to be, we will go into the air with him, and the marriage supper of the Lamb will begin to take place. But when Christ comes, what? Not in clouds of glory, but when he comes upon a white horse, ruling with a sword that protrudes out of his mouth, with fire in his eyes, what is he coming to do? He is coming to judge all unbelievers. So it's a different thing. So now we're in the middle of this tribulation period. We've been talking about it for a while. We're in the middle of this tribulation period. We've already discussed all the way up to the sixth trumpet. Okay? So we're a little bit kind of maybe past what you would call the middle of it all. But we're at this point now where, do you remember from chapter 6 of Revelation? If you've been here, all of those seals were opened up. But chapter 7 was as if God said, time out. And he took a time out and he said, Listen, go down there and seal all of those Israelites, 12,000 from each tribe in their foreheads because they're witnesses for me. We're going to go into more discussion about that stuff after Christmas. Then he said, what, go down there, and they were preaching the gospel, and there was going to be a number that could not be numbered of all tribes, tongues, people, and nations that would be saved, amen? And it was like God took a time out to do what? To show that he's in control. And to show that he is gracious and that he's sovereign and that he is not willing that people should perish. But he's a loving God. He's not a God on his throne going, yes, they are finally getting it. No, he is a caring God and loving God. You remember? Because why? In those seals that were opened up, remember? And even in those trumpets that were blown, only a third of the earth was touched by those trumpets. And that was God saying, you can only do so much. You, Satan, you are a created being. 
You were created by me. You have no throne. You have no kingdom. You have no power unless I allow you to do whatever. Amen? He does it. The Bible says that when Job, uh, chapter number 1, it says that Satan was asked a question by God. You know what the question was? Where you been? Okay? Uh, it depends on what Bible you're reading from. You know, if you're reading out of the King James, where, where, where beenest thou, right? Uh, where have you been? And when he says, where have you been? He says what? I've been sitting on my throne, ruling on my kingdom. No, no, he said, I've been walking up and down, in and out of the earth. Why? Seeking, as what Peter says later in the New Testament, seeking someone to devour, right? Amen. So we look at it, but now we've come to this place where God has got another time out. Last Sunday I left y'all, and y'all kind of just walked out like this, and y'all were just like, man, that's just... The sixth trumpet and all this stuff and all this gloom and all this bad stuff. This is God's final time out. God is taking another time out to go, I want to remind you of one thing. I am in authority. Let me say something to you before we actually get to preaching this morning. The sovereignty of God is greater than any deed, any work, any kind of monetary thing that you could ever think that you could bring before the Lord. Your righteousness, as David talks about, is as filthy rags. As Paul talks about, there is none righteous. No, not one. The Bible says God's not a respecter of persons. So it doesn't matter if you are worth one and a half million or you're only worth a, worth a half nickel. It doesn't matter at all. God is not concerned with that. But in God's sovereignty, that means this. Those of you that think, Brother Steve, do you think God would love somebody like me? Do you think God could forgive someone like me? Do you think that I've drawn the line and I've gone way too far? Let me say something to you, that the grace of God is strong enough to reach you at the most bottom point of your life. But the sovereignty of God, the authority of God is this, that he can break every chain that binds you. You say, how would you know that? If you knew who I was before I came to Christ, then you would understand that I know what you're thinking because I've been there. I've been there to think, man, listen, I may have gone too far. My dad was a preacher, and I did all this stuff and all these things. But listen, the grace and sovereignty of God is richer than any of the sin that I could ever commit. And the Bible even teaches us that where sin abounds. What, church? You know it. Grace does much more abound. Listen, as we're going to move now into this second portion, you know, the Bible says the tribulation period is seven years. And it says it's actually set out into two portions. The first three and a half years are actually going to be easier, Jesus says, than the latter three and a half years. And so we've in, been talking about and they've endured the first three and a half years. But now we're moving into that second portion of it all. And in God's timeout or his final timeout, it's like he's sitting on the throne and he's reminding you that I'm still here. Because why? For the first three and a half years of that tribulation period, what has taken place? Satan has seemed like he's been on the throne and like he's ruling the earth. And it almost seems like Satan's walking around going, uh-huh, I knew this place would be mine someday, right? He tried to get Jesus in the wilderness to do what? To bow down to him. And he said, I'll give you all this stuff. And you know what Jesus said? Get behind me, Satan. And actually in our country terminology today, he looked at him and said, man, it don't even belong to you. This stuff doesn't even belong to you. The Bible says in Psalms, what? The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. In other words, every tree and every seed belongs to God. It doesn't belong to Satan, amen? But listen, Adam and Eve were given, or Adam was given dominion over the earth, authority and power over the earth to do what? He, he gave it to him in his hand, but Satan deceived him. And so Satan is also deceived now to think that he owns all of this stuff. And God takes a time out in chapter number 10 to do what? To say, hey, I'm on the throne. 
Satan's not on the throne. I am on the throne. And, and no matter what he's wreaking havoc on the earth, it doesn't matter. He is not in charge. Church, what I want to preach to you about today is this right here. What a picture that we can see. For the next three Sundays, you know, I, and I've prayed about this, and God has timed everything together, and I love the Lord. I love how he has timing. I hope you'd bring your Bible with you. I want you to make marks in it. I want you to make notes in it. I want you to write this stuff down. Remember that there's notes in the, uh, uh, the bulletin and stuff like that, but for the next three Sundays, a lot of people are going to be coming in and out of our church. Uh, a lot of people come in and out on Easter, and they come in and out on Sundays, and sometimes we even have live stream in the back so that we can fit everybody in. And they're going to be coming and listening or, or looking uh, for um, the Christmas story. And God has really laid it out in a simple way, even in the book of Revelation. And God's put us right in the middle of this time out so that we could be able to share the great Christmas story. One of the things that I want you to understand at Christmas time is that Jesus Christ, the one that was brought in a lowly manger, is the Lamb of God. Yes, he's the Lamb of God. Jesus Christ, it was in a lowly manger. He is the Lord. Amen. He's, as Josh McDowell said, he had to figure out if he was either Lord, liar, or lunatic. And he figured out that he was Lord. But I want you to know that Jesus Christ is the Lion of the tribe of Judah. Amen. That he is the royal, great, and Son of God. Amen. I want you to read with me in Revelation chapter 10, verse number 1 again. It says, And I saw another mighty angel come down from heaven. It says, clothed with a cloud, and a rainbow was upon his head, and his face was as it were the sun, and his feet as pillars of fire. It says, and he had in his hand a little book open, and he set his right foot upon the sea, and his left foot upon the earth, and cried with a loud voice, as when a lion roareth. And when he had cried, seven thunders uttered their voices. And when the seven thunders had uttered their voices, I was about to write, and I heard a voice from heaven saying unto me, look at what he said, seal up those things which the seven thunders uttered, and write them not. Church, the first thing that I want to show you today, it's just really three simple things, and then you'll be able to go to Cracker Barrel and do what you're going to do the rest of the day. Amen? But I want to show you this great picture. The first thing that we see here, the Bible says, is something a little bit different. It says that we see this mighty angel. Uh, in verse number 1, it says in chapter 10 that there's a, a, it's a mighty angel. But look what he says. I saw another mighty angel come down from heaven. There's two words that are really kind of separate uh, something out here I want to share with you. If you come back tonight, I'd, we have service at 6 o'clock. would love to share something with you. We're going to be looking at the Old Testament scriptures where the Bible says the angel of the Lord and uh, talking about who the angel of the Lord is. When you look at this scripture, notice, first of all, right off the bat in verse number 1, it says another mighty angel. And the reason it says that is because you remember in chapter number 5, I told you that in the throne room there was this great angel with a loud voice. You remember? And that angel with a loud voice did what? It says, who is worthy to open or to loose the scroll, uh, scrolls, the, the loose the seals of the scrolls? I'm, I really don't need to preach with a cough drop in my mouth. Loose the seals of the scrolls. You remember that? It says that he thundered that voice so loud that it was heard through the throne room of heaven. But now the Bible says that John said, I saw what? Not the same angel, but I saw another angel. He said, and what he's doing with that word is he's, he's separating that it's not that thing that I saw in the beginning as a mighty, or excuse me, as a loud angel. But notice the words that he says, I saw mighty angel. And understand in the Greek, 
New Testament, the word is anglos, and it means messenger. And what this scripture is actually saying is that I saw another mighty messenger come down from heaven. And you look at this, is that he's saying, I saw one that was strong. I saw something that was so mighty that it was greater than that angel, that first one that we saw, and it was actually mightier than any of the other. And it says that he was a mighty messenger of God. And I looked at these things, and you look, look at this scripture, and you go, well, who is this? You think about it, the Bible talks about in Matthew chapter 3, verse number 11, it says, I indeed baptize you with water under repentance. He says, but he that cometh after me is mightier than I, whose shoes I'm not worthy to bear, and he shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. When you look at this, this is John the Baptist. John the Baptist in Matthew is putting people down. He's, he's, he's at the river of Jordan. He's baptizing people. He's asking them to repent. He's telling them what? What message is he preaching? He's not preaching Jesus on the cross, and he's not preaching Jesus resurrected out of a tomb because those things have not happened yet. He is preaching, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. He's preaching something that a lot of people hate, and especially King Herod. Repent, repent, repent. See, because why? Repent is not feel sorry for what you did. Repent is have godly sorrow and conviction in your life about being wrong and contrary against a holy God and turn away from that and don't do it anymore. Now, that's actually what the word repent means. Now, the Old Testament has a Hebrew word for repent, and it's Nahum, and it means to have a change of thought or change of mind, of rational thinking. The Bible even tells us that the Lord repented that he had made man. That he created mankind. You know, when he looked down in the whole earth in chapter number 6 of Genesis was full of sin, the Bible says that God's looking down and it even comes to his thoughts that, listen, he repented that he even made creation, made mankind. Why? Because he made mankind to do what? He made men and women, male and female, to do what? To worship him, to glorify him and to praise him. But when he looked down upon the earth during the days of Noah, People were not worshiping him and praising him and glorifying him, were they at all? The Bible says that every thought and imagination of the hearts, they were continually on wickedness in the days of Noah. The Bible says that, listen, I'm not going to give you a sign for the end time, but I'll tell you what I will give you. Just as in the days of Noah, so shall it be in the coming of the Son of Man. He said, listen, like they were living in the days of Noah, where they did not care about sin, where they did not blush at sin, and they didn't blink at it, he said... Whenever that begins, you see that happening again. He said, you know that I'm coming. I'm at the door. Amen. So the Bible says John the Baptist said, repent. But the Bible says that John the Baptist never, ever, ever drew attention to himself. John the Baptist never drew popularity or attention to his position. It was always someone else is coming. Someone else is coming. Let me tell you something. It wasn't Santa. It was Jesus that was coming in that point. Amen. Well, he's talking about repenting. Amen. He said, Someone's coming. He said, who is what, church? He said, he's mightier than I am. Jesus is the mighty one. Jesus, listen, let me tell you something. Samson and his wonderful long flowing hair like I used to have. And all of his strength is not mightier than Jesus, the son of God. The Bible says there's one mightier than I. And you know what John the Baptist said? He said, I'm not even able to tie his shoes. He said, I'm not even able, in one scripture, I'm not even able to bear his satchel or his purse. I'm not even able to buckle those things. He said, I tell you that, listen, he said, if you could understand this, he's coming, and he said, I'm baptizing you with water. 
Amen? Unto what? Unto repentance. You're testifying through that baptism of repentance in John's baptism that you are what? You're walking away from the old lifestyle that you should live and you're going to walk to God. And listen, that the Word of God, not the water, but the Word of God, cleanses you and helps you to do what? To be established in walking a new life. It does. The Bible says by the washing and the regeneration of what? The Word of God. The Bible says this right here. He says, He shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and look at this. Then it separates it and says, and with fire. It doesn't mean that God's going to come in here this morning and you get saved, you're going to be baptized with the Holy Ghost and with fire all at the same time. Because the next scriptures say, whose who's winning fork or whose fire and purge is in his hand. What he's talking about is that you can either accept Jesus now as Lord and Savior and you'll be baptized. You will be immersed, baptizo, dunked, dipped like the Titanic was. Amen. In the Holy Spirit of God. Amen. Doesn't that make you as a Baptist feel good? To know that we can have the Holy Ghost of God, that it's not just wrapped up in another denomination, but we got the Holy Ghost. Anybody got the Holy Ghost? I like the Holy Ghost, don't you? Amen. I like to listen to what he tells me to do more than I like to listen to myself. Amen. But then the Bible says, and if you choose not that, then what happens? He is also capable to baptize you with fire which is teaching us the book of Revelation. That, and listen, Revelation chapters 1 all the way to chapter 4. If you trust Jesus as your Savior, you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit of God, which is the earnest payment, listen, the earnest for your salvation until you actually are changed in a new body. It says if you don't, you're going to suffer the wrath and the judgment of God, and it's going to come through His Son, Jesus Christ. Listen, this angel, who is this mighty one? Look at what it says. We're going to go quickly through these, okay? I know that y'all are thinking, no, we're not, but it's fine either way. Listen, the Bible says that he's clothed with a cloud. Listen, there were, there were no angels, Old Testament or New Testament, that needed to be shielded or clothed with cloud. And you say, well, well brother, see, what, what are we getting at right here? Well, th this is not the fat little cherubs. Uh, that come out during Valentine's in February, you know, and they're, they're riding in with their arrows, and they're on clouds. You know what I mean? It's not, it's not the little fat Jonas Brother ones off of Not a Museum. It's not all of that stuff. That, if, Unless you've seen that, you really don't know what I'm talking about, and I could tell by your facial expression that you don't. But um, it's not some uh, uh, angel that the clouds had to hide the glory. There's only one that's ever been shielded in cloud, and, and, and that that cloud... Did what? It, it hid the glory of that person. You know who it is? It's God the Father and God the Son. You say, well, what do you mean, Brother Steve? The Bible teaches us that the Lord walked with the children of Israel in the Old Testament in what? A cloud by day. The Bible says that also that the, whole, uh, the holy presence of God in the tabernacle and in the temple would fill up that tabernacle and it would be a cloud that would shield what? It would shield that wonderful presence of God. Are you with me this morning? It would shield the presence of God. Why? Because we couldn't bear it. We couldn't stand to see God in his full glory. And the Bible says that it was shielded by all of that. Amen? And the Bible says that it was called in the Old Testament the Shekinah glory of God. Come on, some of you old people say amen. You know, some of these young people don't even know. They think that's a band. You know what I mean? The Shekinah glory. The Shekinah glory of God was the presence of God that was with them. It even said, church, that it was, that it was so strong that the ministers, the people that were in the tabernacle, couldn't even stand up to minister. It meant that they fell on their face before God when that cloud came in. Why? Because it was the presence of God. You know what the Bible says in Acts chapter number 1, verse number 11? It says, why do you stand here gazing into heaven? 
The same Jesus that you see going away is coming again in like manner. What was he going away in? He was going away in clouds of glory. Right. What the Bible says, it says, so he will be coming again in like manner. His glory will be shielded. Not only that, but at a place that we call now Mount Transfiguration, the Bible says that Jesus and others went with him on top of this mountain. And the Bible says that Jesus was able to do what? To take off the veil, to unveil himself and reveal himself to James, amen, to John, to Peter, and reveal himself before them. And what did he do? Listen, the glory of God was there and he was clothed with clouds because we can't handle it, amen. Listen, there are days I get so excited about the Lord and the Holy Spirit's filling me up so much that I make my eye watch go off and thinks I'm having a heart attack, but I'm so excited. Why? Because being in the prayer room and in the presence of God. The Bible says you'll be clothed with cloud. We'll talk about some of that tonight. Amen. The second thing it says, and a rainbow was upon his head. And looking at that, church, you remember in Revelation chapter number 4 and chapter number 5, we saw the throne room. You remember there was a rainbow that was behind the throne of God. Do you remember? And it was, that one was full emerald. What is, what is the representation of the rainbow? The representation of the rainbow is this right here. First of all, number one, it's God's mercy. God did what? Where did we see scripture? In scripture, the rainbow, the very first time in the book of Genesis. And when we saw it was after the flood, after the massive wrath of God that came in and destroyed people from the face of the earth. And what did he do? He said that he would have mercy. Imagine all of those dark storm clouds rolling back. All of the fountains of the deep, as the Bible says, now subsiding. And Noah's looking out across the land and seeing all the land come back now. And imagine as he looks up there and those clouds are diminishing. And there in the wonderful sky is that rainbow, which is a representation of God's mercy. Not only that, but isn't it called royal? G. Biv, is that it, Andrew? Is what it is? You say, well, what is that, Brother Steve? There's seven colors that are in the rainbow, right? And in those seven colors, Roy G. Biv is how you remember all those colors, all right? And I don't remember all of them right now, but it's like red, whatever, orange, yellow. Yeah, and just do the acronym, and you'll know what it is later, all right? Remember the last one's violet. But you look, those are the clear ones that we see. But in between the mixtures of the others, it's just all of the colors. Don't you find it amazing that, isn't it beautiful that there's seven, and God has... Seven and seven and seven and all this stuff that's going on. Just like the musical notes in a scale, there's seven A, B, C, D, E, F, G. But yet you have certain alterations after that, but they're all in that same thing. The Bible says that God, this angel, this mighty angel that appears and shows himself from where it comes from, heaven. Now he's clothed with a cloud of glory. But he also has a rainbow upon his head showing that he is merciful. Here's the second thing. Showing that what? He's a covenant and promise keeper. That promise was what? That God was not going to destroy all of the people off the face of the earth. No, all at the same time. What does he do? He is long-suffering, not willing that any should perish, but all should come to repentance. So what is it? Listen, those seals and trumpets have opened up. And listen, there's the first trumpet, second trumpet, a third of the earth, a third of the grass, a third of these things. It's God saying, I'm going to keep my promise. I'm not just going to wipe it all out at one moment, one time, one swoosh. He said, no. He said, I'm going to keep my covenant promise with all of Israel and with all the earth. Look at the third thing you see. The Bible says his face was as it were the sun. In other words, you remember when Moses came off the mountain and being in the presence of God, he had to shield his face because of the glory of God. The Bible says in Revelation chapter 1, verse 16 that we've talked about already, it says, and he had in his right hand seven stars and out of his mouth, when a sharp two-edged sword, and his countenance, his face, his facial features, says his countenance was as the sun shineth in his strength. 
He says it was like the sun that was shining in his strength. You know, this is where I love to tell everybody that thinks, you know, whenever I stand before God, I'm just going to go up to Jesus and just tell him what I think. You're not going to. I mean, you can't go out there on a hot day and look up at the sun and stare at that thing for a while. You may, but you're a little bit off if you do that. Why? Because why? It actually, your sight, you know, and you won't be able to see all of that. You're not going to go up before the Lord and begin to spill out everything you think. No, 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 no. When he is coming in his glory and in his mercy and his covenant keeping, when he comes as a sun shining and his countenance is that way, you're not going to be able to talk back to him at all. And I want you to know that now. Because why? Because you can speak to him now. You can ask him for salvation, for mercy, for grace, for love. You can ask now for all of that. But there will come a time where you'll not be able to speak back to him. The Bible says his voice is as the voice of many waters. You won't be able to do it. Look at the last thing the Bible describes about this, this mighty uh, angel that comes. The Bible says, and his feet, or his, or his feet was as pillars, but uh, pillars of fire. And you say, well, well all right, well, what are you talking about? And I love, I love people, they love to put this one in here. Remember the Hebrew boys? Everybody likes to put Jesus into this, into this picture because why? He walked through the fire. We know that. But I also want you to think of it like this. Understand that the Bible says that God led the children of Israel in the Old Testament by a cloud during the day, but by a pillar of fire at night. And when you look at this pillar of fire, you understand that they were, they were walking wherever that pillar of fire led them. If the pillar of fire led them here or led them here, they were walking under the guidance and the leadership of what? Of God. Even, even the angel of the Lord that appeared to them in those days as a theophany or a Christophany, an appearance of the Lord Jesus Christ. Listen, they were walking and they were following him. And the Bible says that that is what we are to do. Even in the word guidance itself. Stop for a moment and just think about it. Guidance. God, you and I dance. But he's the lead. He's the lead. He has to be the one that leads you. You know, there's some people that feel that this is an angel that kind of has a characteristic about Jesus. There's some people feel that this is Jesus. And I know that many of you are going to go home today and go, well, Brother Steve, what do you think about the Scriptures? Well, what I think and I understand from the Scriptures is that there's only one that is shielded and covered in glory. Only one that is worthy to have that rainbow of mercy and grace upon him. There's only one that has walked and led before all of us. I look at this as God saying in the middle of the tribulation, Brother Craig, that God's saying, time out. Satan thinks that he's the best. Satan is presenting himself as one that has conquered something by riding on a white horse, but he has a bow with no arrows. Satan is presenting himself as the Antichrist, as one that has a crown upon his head, but it is a, uh, remember, Stenophis crown, you know what I mean? That is one that only a earthly victor of a race gets, but yet Jesus is crowned with a diadem, amen, which is a crown that fades not away, amen? And, and it's like God goes, Satan is roaring, and he's doing all of these things, and it's like all of a sudden, God tells us in the middle of Revelation, hang on a minute, wait till you get to the end of the book, amen? It's almost like we're reading this, and God goes, wait a minute, I'm losing them, and he puts this chapter 10 in there like he did with chapter 7, and he goes, you just hang on a little bit, because this is the one that is actually in charge. This is the one who is actually full of mercy and grace. Who is worthy of all of the glory that he is sh uh, uh, shielded with the clouds. This is the one. Amen. Listen, there's times in your Christian life where you're going to be back against the wall. Knees to the ground. I'm telling you, you need to listen. You're going to be going, Lord, why is all this stuff happening to me? 
Why are these things happening to me? Why are the bad things happening to me? Why am I suffering for all of this stuff? Listen, I'm not talking about in just the everyday whining that we do. I'm talking about to where you really and truly are in a battle to where Satan has got you convinced that God doesn't love you and that God somehow has left you and that God somehow has forgotten about your story and about who you are. Anybody ever have been in that before? And you're going to need chapters like chapter 10 of Revelation to remind you, no, 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 no. There is one who is mightier. There's one who is full of glory so much that, listen, Satan comes out of the clouds and kind of shows himself to everybody. But listen, we can't even handle the glory of Jesus Christ. There's one who will not break a covenant with you as the Antichrist will. That rainbow that's upon his head, think about it for a moment. The Antichrist comes in the first three and a half years and then he breaks his promise in the middle of it all and becomes the most evil thing the world has ever seen. And now we have a picture of Jesus Christ coming and he is what? He's got an angel about his head. I mean, excuse me, a rainbow around his head to do what? To remind you that there is one that will never break a promise with you. He'll never break a covenant with you. Listen, I believe this and I'm going to try to show it a little bit more tonight to be that wonderful uh, description of what the angel of the Lord is. So we've talked about the mighty angel. Here's the second thing. I know that y'all are thinking, Brother Steve, did you know that it is 923? I do. <laughs> yeah, they, most people didn't get that, so it's good. I want you to look at this second thing, and we're going we're gonna to do two. We got one more after this, if you'll just hang in there with me. There was a mighty angel that was described, but there's this merciless roar. <laughs> There's this roar that comes out. Look at what verse number 2 says. It says, and he had in his hand a little book open, and he said his right foot upon the sea and his left foot upon the earth. In your study notes, I just wanted to show you in those scriptures right there, I wanted you to look at the key words that kind of stick out to you. The Bible says this is a little book or a little scroll, translated in some other translations, a little scroll. What it is is God is now not only separating that angel from this mighty angel, but he's also separating that sealed book to this little book. And you would go, well, what do you think it would be? It's not a sealed book because the Bible says it was a little book that was already opened. And some people go, well, Brother Steve, that's because Jesus already opened those things up. No, the things that are being spoken out of this book, the things that are actually going to take place in this book, is not just the simple things of the judgments that God has given on the earth with those seven seals that were in that scroll. No, this is something different. As we're going to talk about tonight in Daniel chapter number 9, God told Daniel, he said, you seal up that book of prophecy he said, and, and you, don't, you can't speak of any of those things. And I believe this is the prophecy that God had for Israel during that time because this is the tribulation period. But I want you to look at this. We'll focus on this this morning. The Bible says that he came out, had that little book. It says that he set one foot on the sea and one foot on the land. And you say, what was Jesus doing when he did something like that? He's the only one that had the authority to do this, church. There's no angel that has the authority to do this. Amen. Pay attention. Wake up. Amen? It's not really that long when you think about it. Three and a half hours per week? Come on. Amen? He's got one foot on the sea and one foot on the land. What is he doing? He's doing just like the Caesars did in the old days or the emperors did. When they come in to conquer a land, they would go into those lands and they would put one foot in the water and they'd put one foot on the dry ground and they would let out a decree and talk about how that they've conquered this and that it belongs to them. What Jesus is doing at this time, we're going to talk about next week, is that he is actually redeeming all things that God says is his. It 
It is his, amen. Satan may come up out of the sea, the Bible says, as a little bitty antichrist. He may come up out of the land and all that, but Jesus is going to put his foot on the sea and on the land. I love that. It's almost, it reminds me of when your coach used to say shoulder width apart, amen. And he's going to put his feet on one of these other two things, and he's going to declare that he is Lord. Listen, but then the Bible says this, he cried with a loud voice. as when a lion roareth. And when he had cried, seven thunders were uttered, uttered their voices. It says that he yet roar like a roar amen I, I i i had one but i figured all of the people that that maybe nap you know take naps during sunday morning service might you know the defibrillators might go off or they may have a heart attack so i didn't use it i really wanted to use it man it, i had one and it was strong and we were gonna we we're gonna rattle these stained glasses in here but the bible says that jesus roars like a lion notice something when he came the first time he spoke in sermons he spoke in parables he spoke in messages when they slapped him and they kicked him and they spit on him and plucked his beard out, the Bible says he was like a lamb that was dumb, closed mouth before the shears. He did not open his mouth against them. Why? Because he did not come to judge at that time and come to give wrath at that time. No, he came to do what? To give mercy and grace and to pay the penalty for our sin. But the Bible says when Jesus comes, that he's going to roar like a lion. He's going to roar loud like a lion, church. I don't know if you've seen it, man, I love the old movie, uh, Narnia, you know. I love, man, when, when they got Aslan, if you know who it is, it's the lion that's on there. They got Aslan on there. We were in the movie theater, and I'm amen and out loud, my kids are little, and I'm poking them going, man, the stone table they killed him on, you know, and I'm going, that's the law, that's the word of God, you know, and I'm like the preacher in there. And, and, and then whenever it was broken, I was going, yeah, he conquered death and victory, and, and, and the covenants that were against us, he, he broke them, abolished them, you know, and I, I'm sitting there, and my boys are looking over, and they're like, dad's a little excited about this, and I'm trying to t tell Patty, and Patty's looking at the movie screen going, how do you get all that stuff out of there? And I'm going, C.S. Lewis, woo! You know, I was excited, man. I was pumped, pumped. But when Aslan came over the hill, woo, I'm telling you, man, it fires me up. And you say, how do you get so fired up? I got chills going. My, you, my hair on my head is standing up. You can't see it. Well, he came over, man. You see his paw prints, and he's like running. And I'm sitting there, and, and Peter's fighting him off, and, and that, that white witch, you know, is there in the representation of death. And all of a sudden, Aslan comes on the hill and goes, Rah! Man, in the movie theater, I was like, Yes! Woo! Jesus. It was Jesus. He was a rep. C.S. Lewis knew what he was writing. Amen. But thank God C.S. Lewis didn't write it. Amen. He just tried to write it in a way that would be cool for some people to understand. And he came out roaring. And what was that, to, what was that a sign of? When he oh, loved this. He went around to the places where the white witch had frozen everyone. And he breathed on them. <sighs> he did. He went over there to that fawn. You know, Mr. Tomnus, right? He went over there and went. <sighs> he breathed on him. And he came back to life, amen? The Bible says when Jesus was resurrected from the grave, he went to the disciples and he breathed on them and said, Receive ye the Holy Ghost. Amen. That's a better book. It's in here. And they received the Holy Spirit of God. And then all of a sudden when he roared, what happened? There was an army that was behind him. Oh, and he ran down through that valley and he ate that death. White, oh, man, he just devoured her. 
in the movie, it's like all you see is him, and he turns his head and goes, rah, gets her, and that's it. You know, I, I was excited. I'm walking out of there, writing down notes, what to share, and what to preach, and what to use. Church, it's a merciless roar. He did not look at that that day, Aslan, and go, you know what? No, I'm gonna, we're going to wait on that. No, it was merciless. Merciless. There's going to be a day where the Son of God, listen to me, when he roars, you won't find the mercy and the grace and all of those things in there. No, what you're going to find, you're going to find is the wrath of God. You're going to find that. Here's the last thing that we'll talk about, and then you'll be able to go home. Brother Brandon, you come on. The matchless authority of Jesus Christ. This mighty angel and this merciless roar, but the matchless authority of God. I want you to look at just one verse of Scripture. It says, And when the seven thunders had uttered their voices, I was about to write, and I heard a voice from heaven saying unto me, Seal up the words, or seal up those things which the seven thunders uttered, and write them not. The Bible says that when that lion let out that roar, amen, which is the lion of the tribe of Judah, when he let out that roar, the Bible says that seven thunders uttered their voices. And what it actually is translated in this is that out of that roar, he heard seven things from the thunderous voice. That it's, it's not like, okay, this thunder and this thunder. and this, like, like, okay, you're thunder number one and you're thunder number two and thunder number three. But what it was is that he heard seven things that were uttered out of the thunders. It came out. And I want you to notice something. God said, John, put your pen down. The only time in the book of Revelation... Only one time in the book of Revelation does God say, you cannot write it. Seven thunderous judgments come out when that lion roared. But the Bible says God told John, seal it up. Seal it up. He did not say at all in the scripture, seal it up until it's revealed later. Like he did Daniel when he sealed it up. So you look at this and you go, all right, Brother Stephen, what do you think they are? All right, now I want you to write this down. This, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you these things. I'm going to tell you what they are, okay? I don't know. Write it down. I don't know. There's no one that knows. Any man or woman that comes to tell you that I know what they are, you look at them and say, you're a liar because you don't know. Because no one knows what this was. And so here's what you do and I do. You go, all right, God, if that's the case, and John, why did you even put that in there? Because that gets at me, and I think about that too much, and I'm not going to get it off my mind. The reason that this scripture is in here, church, is because there were seven seals. There have been six trumpets. There's going to be another one, and there's going to be seven bowls of, of wrath that are going to be poured out. Listen, the reason this is in here is because God's judgment that he could give upon the earth could have been and should have been much more severe. And I know some of you are going, how, how, Brother Steve, could you think it could be that much more severe? Look around you at sin and what it does. Look at the last few months in the state of Alabama, some of the things that we have prayed for that's been all over our television and understand that evil and unbelieving and sinful, that, that God's judgment is deserved and that God's judgment could have been more but what God did in this, Brother Andrew, is that he told John the seven things that were uttered. He quieted them down and said, listen, 
John, seal that up. Do not write about them. And what God's doing is saying, no, what I'm doing is enough. What I'm doing is enough. We don't know if it was seven thunderous things that came out from the throne. We don't know if it came out from the throne room. We don't know what happened, but we do know this, is that God says, no, you are not authority. I am the matchless authority. There is none that compares unto me. Jeremiah said, there is no other God besides thee, O Lord. Isaiah said, who is a God like unto thee? There is none other than God and his authority. And listen, I am thankful for that. And you say, why, Brother Steve? Because God could have continued to judge me in my life as a sinner. At 17 years old, God could have looked at me and said, no, no. You wanted to do that? You can go on. But no, God is the authority. God is the matchless authority, and he's sovereign. And he, in his wonderful sovereignty, reached down in his matchless grace, and he saved me. And sealed up all of those things. Listen, done, done away with, church. Listen, I I just want to remind you that God is in control. And as much as we think that this world is losing its grip, and that the axis and the tilt and the spin and all of these things are out of control... Understand, in Revelation chapter 10, God says, I'm not out of control. I'm not in a spin zone. I have not lost my power or authority. No, it's matchless. Church, it's a beautiful picture. God has a beautiful, beautiful picture when he comes. Now, here's a question I'll leave you with today. Which side of that will you be on? That's the main question that I'll ask you all the time. Which side of that will you be on? You've come to church to understand more about this this Christmas story. Or maybe you've come to church to understand more about the Word of God. Uh, You come today because God in His wonderful, what, grace and mercy has brought you. In His sovereignty, He has allowed you to continue to live. But in His grace, He is saying, come to me, come to me, come to me, come to me, come to me. Have you done that? And the other thing is this, Christians, listen to me. Those of you that allow all of this other stuff that's going on in the world to kind of take control of your mind sometimes, and you begin to become anxious, you begin to become a little bit concerned about, listen, we don't know what's going to go on in the world, or we don't know all this. You know what you need to do at this time? You need to just understand and come and rest and say, Lord, I rest in the fact that your authority is matchless, your sovereignty, Lord, is uncomparable to any other thing. So, Lord, I'm just going to rest in you. You know, I mean, Lord, I know that the, the old preacher says the world's going to hell in a handbasket, but Lord, I'm just trusting in you and I'm resting in you and that you've got all things in control. The last one is this. Those of you that got problems, remember last Sunday we prayed for people that's had cancers. We've been praying for people that had massive surgeries this week, major surgeries this week, not massive, but major surgeries this week. You know what? Sometimes that can be you. and It may be you this morning. I want to invite you to come down also and allow somebody to pray with you. To let you know that God is in control. That God has got a story. And God will be with you. And God will take care of you. And that God's never going to leave you. You may go through a valley. You may go through a situation where you can't seem to understand how you're going to get out. But God's never left you. What a picture of our Lord. And he wants you to come today. Amen. If you will, will you bow your head?